0: This is a free download from Delancey Elim Church, meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at Le Banks St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. have a look at young David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll have a look at him. See what he did, see what he got up to. 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, well take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him and they asked Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Now Eliab was um, Jesse's oldest son. And he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David Samuel then went to Ramah so in the previous chapter we have a case here where uh, Saul has blotted his copy book yet again and he didn't do what Samuel had told him to do from the Lord so God says to Samuel I'm I'm rejecting Saul you're going to have to find somebody else so we have the story that we just read and he goes down Samuel goes down to Bethlehem and under the pretense, pretense of making a sacrifice with the elders of that town and he also invites Jesse and all his boys to come along we have a story here where God was preparing a way to move. And it's good that we can always prepare for God to, to make a way for us to, to see a situation through or to move in some way or another. And so they come to the sacrifice and when they arrive there, Samuel sees Eliab, the oldest son, son of Jesse, and he thought, thinks, yeah, this must be the one. I'll anoint him. But God says, no, 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 don't do that. He's the firstborn, and because the firstborn in, in that society had special privileges. I think I've brought this to you once before, in that the, the firstborn, when the father died, the firstborn always had a double portion of, of what else was around. So if you had, say, five, if, if, the, son, if the father had five boys, then the, the, the eldest would have six portions and all the other boys would only have one portion each. So they had privileges, being the firstborn. So although God tells the prophet the broader plan of things to come, go down to Bethlehem and anoint and one of Jesse's sons, he doesn't exactly give him all the details. And the prophet therefore assumes, wow, this oldest son, this must be the one. And he looks on his outward appearance. which says God doesn't look on that. So when God saw that He'd rejected, said that He'd rejected um, Eliab as His firstborn, along comes the next son. It must be Abinadab, and God says, No, I haven't chosen him. So along comes the next one, Shammah, and He said, No, He hasn't chosen him. And Jesse gets all his boys, one after the other, all seven of them, and prays in front of Samuel. And Samuel says, God says, No, I haven't chosen any one of these. Samuel tries seven times to see where God's work is, what God's word is, and, and, and what, it, what it is that, that God wants to do. He takes seven steps Put yourself in Samuel's shoes. You must be confused. Did he get it right? Did God really tell him to go down to Bethlehem? What's going on? I was just wondering if we're like that with Samuel sometimes. God opens a door for us and we walk into that particular place. Maybe he gives us a new job. Maybe we go for this new job and we feel it's just so right that God puts us in this place. Or maybe it's a new position in where we're at. Or maybe it's a a new task he asks us to do. And we assume when we get there that we know what we're going to do. We know the next move. But what we actually are doing is stopping listening to God's voice. And we start doing whatever we're doing and it doesn't seem to work out. So we try something else and that doesn't seem to work out either. So we try something else and whatever we try doesn't seem to work out. And then we start thinking, well, God, I thought you wanted me to go into that particular job. But I don't know, nothing's working. But what we're actually doing is stopping listening to God's voice. Samuel asked Jesse, is this all the boys you've got? And he said, oh well, there's, there's one other one. It's the young guitar strumming mad on music guy. Richard's looking at me smiling. <laughs> we sent him out and we're looking after the sheep. He's the youngest. So he's ordered to be fetched so God has put us in this place in this position in this job to do this task whatever it is and we listen to the the so-called voice of experience maybe those around us maybe our own experiences that we've had in the past and yet nothing seems to be working out those who we think are older and wiser than us we listen to we think they know the ropes so they should know but we don't listen any more to what god is saying or to all the way he's directing and then things don't seem to go right they go pear-shaped as we say did we get it right in the first place have we heard it correctly from god but the lord seemed to be but Lord, it seemed to be right that we took that job. We took that project on. What we're not doing is taking the eighth step. The eighth boy that came along was the one that God chose. And we don't take that eighth step. We, we think on our own things and, and try to do our own thing. It seems to me that David was treated as being very insignificant in the family itself. You can, you can see Jesse's thinking wow, the great prophet the prophet of the whole country has come down to our town and he's invited not only the elders, he's invited me and my boys to this sacrifice. We won't, we won't ask David he's, he's mad on his music we'll go and send him on a hill somewhere looking after the sheep. <coughs> we'll leave it, David up there. He was the youngest son. Actually, there, there was uh, other younger sons in the Bible that did significant things. There was Jacob, there was Joseph, there was Gideon. And to the families, they would have been most insignificant. But to God, they weren't. I'm reminded also of uh, when Philip, after he had met Jesus, who had asked him to follow him, went and found Nathaniel. And he said, we've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can any good thing come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. You see, Nathanael was treating Nazareth and the person that came from there as being very insignificant. And yet, we know that when you think of Jesus, the son of David who came himself he was despised and he was rejected and refused by men the stone which the builders refused and yet he has a name which is above every other name we know from the bible from reading the bible that god chose unlikely people he chose moses who was a stutterer he chose a little girl who told her her master naaman to go to the prophet and the prophet would heal him of his leprosy. He he chose country-fied fishermen and later on they turned the world upside down. Oh yes, he hasn't given us brains or logical thinking for nothing and, and he hasn't given us these brains and logical thinking to just to be dormant and left on one side. We need them. But there are times when he wants us to rely on him for the answer. And then we come to verse 12 in 1 Samuel 16 and as Samuel sees David he says this is the one, this is the one I have chosen. The Lord's chosen one is a young shepherd boy and in Psalm 78 it says he chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens from tending the sheep he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. Moses was another one that was exactly the same. He was looking after his father-in-law's sheep, Jethro's sheep, and he was ch- chosen as well from being taken from looking after the Jethro's flock. So finally, we get to do things God's way, God's way, and the Lord puts His seal of approval on it. Are we in that position at the moment that we need a revelation from God as to which way we've got to go? What do we do next? Are we confused? We don't know which way to run. We don't know which way to turn. Our backs are against the wall. Maybe David was quite content to be strumming his harp on a hill somewhere looking after the sheep. Are we quite content with our lot where God has put us? What kind of attitude do we have where we are right now? Samuel originally chose Saul because he was head and shoulders. He was a taller man than most of the people in Israel. And Samuel chose Saul to be the king. But God looks on the heart and God chose the the person with the heart that was after God. (coughs) Samuel here needed to be reminded That God's anointed was not chosen because of his physical attributes, but he was chosen because of his heart, that his heart was right with God. Samuel needed to grasp that fact. We may be able to see how people look, but God sees how people are. If our heart is right, God will see us through that situation and give us the solution to what to do next. He will guide us in and through our confusion. Sometimes he just tests our patience, our faith, our trust and our love for him. And it's said in verse 13 there that from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I just felt as, I was, as, as God was putting all these thoughts in my mind that there was two things I wanted to speak about this morning. And one was confusion. I don't know if anybody here is, don't know which way to turn next, you're in that, that kind of a situation. But I, I felt that God was saying that to me. And the other thing I felt that God was saying to me was the whole subject of rejection. David here in this chapter and the next chapter was rejected three times. <clears throat> or he had sh- rejection shown him three times. I wonder what he thought and what thoughts was going through his mind when he was sat on that hill with his harp watching the sheep. And all his brothers were there in this sacrifice following the, 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 the big prophet from, from the, the whole of the country and he wasn't invited to that. He was stuck on a hill somewhere out the way. Maybe he was quite happy to be there, I don't know. But I wonder what he thought. I wonder what was going through his mind. I wonder what he was feeling. Was he feeling rejection? His oldest brothers didn't think much of him. He was just the baby of the family. In fact, if you look at the next chapter, it says his brothers still had the same attitude towards him whenever that next chapter happened if it was a few months later or a few years two or three years later we're not told but he still had that same attitude so it says there that when Eliab David's older brother heard him speaking with the men he burned with anger at him and asked why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is you came down only to watch the battle." In fact, I think if we could turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, just have a a, a read of that. The Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Soko and Ezekiel. Saul and the Israelites assembled and and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another, with a valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. Now, my my little bits in the bottom of my Bible says that's the equivalent of three metres high, or nine foot nine inches. We had a guy that came in here the other Thursday morning, one of the carers who, who come in bringing the service users in on a Thursday morning, and he ducked as he came in that door. And I said, wow, how tall are you? And he said, six foot seven. Well, that's two metres and a bit. And this guy, Goliath, was three metres high. <clears throat> then we have a description there of, uh, of, of his armour and his weight, uh, the weight of his armour and all that he had on. And verse 8 it said, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are not you the servants of of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. When you think of Saul, he was the tallest man around anyway. For forty days, the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to, to, to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. <coughs> he reached the camp as the army was going out to his battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. I think that's a good bonus, to exempt your family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, which I read before, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. So picture the scene here. We have a a beautiful valley and there's a a hill on either side and there's a stream running through this valley. And on the hills on either side is two opposing armies. And every morning comes out this nine foot something guy and he starts shouting and cursing the God of Israel and invites someone to fight him. Not only that, he's been doing this for nearly six weeks. And that's just how it is, Just to stay like that. Just thinking about rejection actually, was it Eliab who felt rejected after all? It was he who was passed by. He was the oldest of the brothers and his younger brother wasn't even in on the line for the celebration. I think he was still bitter at being overlooked. Rejected people reject people. I've been reject- if, if, if we've been rejected sometime in our lives and we haven't let God deal with that then we could be passing on that same sense of rejection to other people. Verse 31 says what David was said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him and David said to Saul let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> another time when David could have felt rejection, the second time was when he went to King Saul and offered to go and fight that Philistine but King said King Saul said you're not able you're just not able to go and fight that Philistine you're only a young man he's been a warrior from his youth in other words David you're not big enough you're not strong enough You're not capable of this. I wonder if we've all heard words in our lives to that kind of sentiment. Have we all been told something like that in our lives? You'll never do that. You've got too many crazy ideas. What are you thinking about? Don't get your hopes up. You'll never amount to anything. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not wanted enough. But David pushed through that. And he starts telling Goliath there about how he, he fought with a lion and a bear. David pushed through all that and, and, and got to then his third rejection this time it was from Goliath Um, I'll just read the verses in between actually Saul said to David go and the Lord will be with you then Saul dressed David in his own tunic he put a coat of armour on him and, and a bronze helmet on his head David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them I cannot go in these he said to Saul because I'm not used to them so he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the string, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So David pushed through that and goes to see this Philistine. The Philistine curses David by his gods because he's just a rosy cheeked boy. Verse 41 Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more, he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. We know what it's like. We either grow up with somebody, or we work with someone. We know them inside out. We know all their faults, all their failures. We know their good points, we know their bad points. And then somehow or other, they're shown favor and they're promoted above us. And we think, they'll never handle that job. I would, but they can't. I'm, I'm sure they're not the person for that job. And then jealousy starts coming up inside of us or we become feeling really insecure about our own job and our own position have we ever been in that position of rejection a place of being ignored whatever we say nobody takes a blind bit of notice about us or we don't fit in with the in crowd or we're only the dog's body who gets the jobs done that nobody else wants to do we're the ones who clears up the mess that everybody else creates We are the ones who are put out of sight minding the sheep, washing the dishes or doing some menial task. Have we ever experienced that feeling of rejection? A feeling of being abandoned? This can produce a feeling of being so insecure in our lives having low self-esteem, low self-worth feeling inferior, feeling self-hate even. Ladies do you ever post a selfie of yourself when you've had a bad hair day? No? <laughs> or young people, do you ever post a selfie of yourself when you've got zits all over your face? Or yellowheads, as we used to call them when I was young. <laughs> no, we don't, because we don't want people to reject us. We don't want that kind of thing to happen. just want to spend the last few minutes looking at David and Goliath. I know some people have likened David to us who face giants. Thanks for those, those first couple of songs. It was all about conquering and winning there. And, um, um, but I know that you know, you, you, sometimes you read a, a good Christian book and, and it really excites you and it, gets, it grips you. Or you, you go to a, a special service and, 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 the, and the guy up front challenges you with, with you fighting your Goliath you knocking your Goliath down it, it could, quite be, could be quite legitimate quite be right but I don't think that that is what this story actually is about you, you get all fired up uh, uh, and, and you say well yeah I'll knock that giant down um, uh, whatever the giant is it might be confusion, it might be rejection but it might be some other temptation that keeps coming your way and you can't get rid of it it might be that you, you live on a short fuse and you, and, and you blow your mouth out and then you think, oh God, I shouldn't have done that again. And you keep doing it. It, it might be a, a fear you have or it might be an anxiety you have. It might be something that keeps on coming back. It's the giant in your life and it keeps on coming back. And you hear this sermon uh, and where you read this book and you get, so yes, i will knock that on the head. And two, three weeks later on, back comes this giant and you fall down again. You you, you fall down over that thing that so easily besets you. But I'd like in this story to equate David to Jesus and I really feel this is what this story is about. David here can be likened to him. We have to give this thing to Jesus that so easily trips us up David here is a picture of Jesus. It's Jesus, when you think of it, that fights for us. It's Jesus that stares that, at the that face of the impossible odds. It's Jesus that takes that sling. It's Jesus that takes those small stones. It's Jesus that aims that thing at Goliath and knocks him down. Not only knocks him down, has already knocked him down. The giant falls because of the work of Jesus on the cross is that not right it's giant the falls that because jesus is the giant killer human thinking or human power can never produce a supernatural result the minute we allow jesus to enter our valley of elah things will change because we stop staring at the giant and start focusing on jesus we have to shift our focus from that giant to jesus so where are we then in the story if we're not David where are we in the story I believe that we are amongst the army of Israel we're looking on we're looking on at that Goliath we're looking at him roaring at us each time each day maybe each time he comes we're looking on at that giant that's where we are in the story to me it's not us who fight the giant It's Jesus who goes before us. And it's him that's already defeated the enemy in our lives. Yes, like the army of Israel, we fight that giant every day. Maybe he's been taunting taunting us for six weeks, six months, six years. Maybe he's been taunting you this morning as you were coming to church. Maybe that giant has even given you a sleepless night last night but it's Jesus that can give us the victory. Let us work in the rest that Jesus has already done on the cross. We stand in his victory. Every day that we fight a giant, whatever it is, we stand in the finished work of the cross. But now you say, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't know what you're going through, but I know where you can get the victory. And I know the one who can defeat that giant in your life. I've just been reading uh, um, a book. I nearly finished it from Louis Giglio, pastor of a massive church in America. Um, But he was saying there that um, in America they have summer camps for the young people, and they take the young people. it's, It's what we would call a secondary age group. Uh, Of young people out to a summer camp every year and it lasts for three weeks they they take them from a Monday to a Friday and the first week they take the the, the two younger age groups, the second week they take the two middle age groups and the third year they take the third week they take the the, the last two age groups which we would call our sixth form age groups and he said that when you go to university then you're asked to come and help (laughs) So the university students go and they go the weekend before and they prepare the summer camp and, and then all the kids come in on a Monday morning and then they go out on a Friday evening and they, the, the, the university students are left there w- with the helpers to, to help prepare for the next week and so it goes on. And so he says, for the best part of a month you're, you're, you're there in this summer camp. And he said, what they used to do on the weekends when, when the children weren't around was that they, they, they would um, have a bit of fun, or a bit of dangerous fun, actually. As you said, where they were, there was uh, great big buildings at the end where, there was, where they would eat and where they would meet and where they would, there was a chapel and, and everything. And then there was a, a, a big playing field in the middle. And on the left was the girls' accommodation, all in little blocks. Uh, and on the right was the boys' accommodation, all in little blocks, uh, and in the middle was the the bathroom shower rooms toilets etc uh, and all these buildings were separate bathroom block was separate and uh, so if if around that way there was snakes deadly snakes uh, and a lot of other bogs as well but uh, <laughs> so if if you happened to be taken short in the middle of the night you had to go with a torch outside into the block and, and hope you didn't see a snake or you just have to hold tight and wait till daylight. But he said what they used to do as students was that they were, on, on the weekends when the kids weren't around, they'd take a baseball bat and they'd go looking for the snakes. And I uh, hope you're not squeamish this morning. So they'd they, they, they bash the snakes. When they found one, they bash the snake on the head until it was really well and truly really dead. And they separate the head from the body and they'd bury the head. Um, and he said it was nothing for four of them to go out and have seven or eight snakes each at the end of the day. So as, uh, as they did, he said, because we used to like our trophies, to say what we've done, so he said we'd take the snake back, not the head, because that was buried. We'd take the snake back, but the snake, um, the nerves kept going, so the snake would be wrapping its, itself around their arms. I know, sorry, but you're <laughs> squeamish, but... And he was saying there, that's exactly like Satan. That's exactly what he does. He's dead, but he's still squirming. And they used to bury the head because if you didn't bury the head and you happened to walk in daylight even or around and happened to inadvertently tread on a snake, that poison could still uh, poison you seriously. They were deadly snakes. So they would bury all the heads out of the way. And he said, that's just like, like, like Satan. He wriggles and he squir- squirms. And if we tread on his head, his poison can still render huge problems for us. We can still self, be self-injected by the poison into our lives. But Jesus is the ultimate snake crusher. A word of, ca- word of caution here, if you deliberately backslide, you then go out into the, the trees, into the dark, into the night and you can inadvertently tread on a head and the fang will inject the, 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 the poison into you. Antidote for serum is James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Also, Ephesians chapter 6, we must put on the full armour of God every day that will keep us from the wiles of the evil one. It's not King Saul's man-made armour. That armour doesn't fit. It's the full armour of God that fits. Our giant is dead, but he can still be deadly. Hedge chopped off can still cause serious harm if not buried out of the way. For example, a few years later on, David saw Bathsheba and he wanted her. So he got her husband killed in the, in the, in the fight so that he could marry her. And he trod on that, that, that snake that day. We might be facing a giant of confusion or rejection or fear or complacency. God, uh, and the, Satan can come in and, 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 and make us quite complacent in our Christian life. Oh, we're saved and we're satisfied, I'll sit back. But as Tim's been saying today, we want to get involved. We want you to get involved. We want to work for God. We want to see these seats full. We want to see people saved. We want to move forward. And so we want to, to, to see things happen. Maybe you, you, you've got that giant has, has lulled you into that false sense of security maybe you've got a secret addiction and, and, and it just, you just fall back on it occasionally maybe as I said before you've got anger or something that in your life that, 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 that you find hard to deal with maybe you do have some other giant in your life which is troubling you that I haven't mentioned this morning some temptation or other when you, don't you allow Jesus to sling that stone and knock that giant down this morning, now? Our giant is dead, but he can still be deadly. And I, I just felt that I had to bring that to you this morning. It's burned deep in my heart and life for quite a while now, or quite a few days now. And I, I don't know what it is that, that's in your life, but if you feel anything that I've said this morning We'd like to pray for you. We'd like to, to to pray for you on your journey. We want to see the victory of the cross dominating your life. Not that that that, that giant that keeps coming back at you. Just like to ask Rich and and, and and the music group then to to come back and we'll just sing something or just let your music play or something. But if you feel God's spoken to you this morning, just invite you to come forward and and, and we will pray. And we will pray for you. Perhaps you could sing. I don't know if you want to sing one of the ones you had before. Is it appropriate or got something else? No. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for what you're saying into our hearts and lives. I pray, Lord, that you would just just speak to us this morning. Lord, we don't want to live in defeat. We don't want to live in defeat at all because you got the victory of the cross. We want to live in victory today. We want to walk out each day out of our doors and be knowing that we're living in the victory of the cross of Jesus. We thank you for your cross, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are you, you are victor and you've got, you are the conqueror. And we just give you praise this morning. Lord, we exalt you, we praise you, we lift you up because you've got the victory. And Lord, we give you praise this morning. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elim Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.